we should not assume that our kids are always connecting the dots and we can over explain and connect the dots for them. And so whether it's, you know, you're cutting out Christmas cookies and one of the shapes is an angel, remind him again why it's an angel and what the angels had to say to the shepherds, bring you good news of great joy that something happened in Christ's coming that is meant for our joy. Welcome back to Adventure Parenting with Grace. I am Lori Donahue, and this is the Gospel Parenting Podcast, where we will walk with you through the joys of parenting and the most painful challenges so you can rise with courage, practical strategies, and hope to parent with purpose. We are coming close to the end of this podcast series on rest during the holidays, and I am just hoping that it has given you a new perspective and a new way to really find that rest that we all desperately long for and desire. But this is just the beginning. This journey of true rest, the biblical rest that God wants for us can apply for you all year long. Eric refers to things that we talked about in the two previous episodes. So if you haven't listened to those, go back and listen to them now before you listen to this. So let's hop right in. Okay, we have talked a lot about toil and leisure, which is not really rest. And we try to solve this by ourselves. We try to solve this problem of not resting well without God. What are some of the things that we do that really sabotage ourselves? Yeah, well, I think our longing for meaningful work, you know, toil, frustration, and slavery, well, we double down on these things that can't ultimately get us out. We're trying to dig ourselves out of a hole and we can't do it. Tim Keller has a really helpful book on work where he talks a little bit about this. And he says, the reason we're marked by this unrest and this kind of unending cycle of trying to work ourselves out of our work, which we can't seem to ever come to, he says, the reason this happens is because we don't realize that there's a, a work under the work that we're striving to complete, that we're striving to, to get at, but we only ever live up here. We only just try to work harder and maybe we can meet this need that we're not meeting. We toil and we're frustrated and we're enslaved because there's something in us that, that longs for significance, for meaning, for a sense of importance. And the big theological term for this, maybe your listeners have heard at church, is justification. We know that there's something that isn't right with us, but we, we try to get right. We try to prove that we're right through our work. And we're, we're trying to get at rest, but, but not addressing this need for justification in us. Tim Keller calls that the work under the work. It's the reason that we turn work into an idol and we end up serving it as a master. And so he talks about if you, if you feel guilty because you, you never feel like you've done enough, or if you feel frustrated uh, and that your work is pointless because it can't quite deliver the life that it promised to give you, or if you feel lonely, maybe underappreciated because despite your effort, you aren't getting the recognition that you hoped for there, or the sense of belonging you, you thought you would get, you'd earn through your hard work. Well, if, if you felt any of those things, well, then you've sought that work under the work. You're, you're trying to justify yourself with your work. It's not working. <laughs> because, because it's not a work that we can do. That deficit, that need, that incompleteness is created by our sin. And it can only be satisfied through the work of Christ. It's not something that we can do ourselves. And so some of us, you know, we address the symptoms of our need for rest. If I can get a little vacation. If I can get a little Netflix, if I can get a little extra sleep, maybe an extra glass of wine, you know, if I can buy a few more things, maybe then I can get to that root problem. But, but if we never address the root problem, 
which is our need for justification, then our effort, we call it palliative care. It's not curing what truly ails us. It's just trying to address the surface symptoms and not getting at the thing in our heart that, that needs to be addressed. So what then is God's answer? Where do we go from here? Well, it's Christmas. Our, our need for rest is why we have Christmas. You know, Christ came to do what we couldn't do. And you, you've got God's design in Genesis 1 and 2, the fall ruins everything. And you see a history of God's people striving and striving and striving and not getting there. And so Christ comes to do the works under the works, you know, to, to justify, to do the thing that we cannot do so that we can have our hearts be set at rest and finally live into the pattern that God intended us to experience, you know, that we were made for. We have this deep need for rest. We were made for it. We're made for this rhythm of stopping coming to him in worship. And yet, because of our sin, we're cut off from that life. We're, we're cut off from him, from the source of that life. And, and that's why Christ came. God's son, he took on flesh. He came to us. He was born. We can sing all the Christmas songs. And when he gets here, what does Jesus say? He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I mean, how many people need to hear that during the Christmas season? You know, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, uh, laden with shopping, laden with cooking, laden with families, laden with expectations, laden with burdens. And Jesus says, no, come to me. I will give you rest. He came to give us that deep rest that we desperately want. And he went to the cross. He took our sin and our shame. He took it all and died in our place so that we could be restored back into relationship with God and have what we were meant to have in him. Oh, this is oh, so good. I love I love all this, but it's kind of up here a little bit. It's a bit theological. And we have parents that are saying, tell me, tell me how to apply this to my life. So mm -hmm. could you speak for a moment? Just bring it down and do it in a real practical sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, if, if I can just pause for one second, I know that they're desperate for that, but let me do some applying, but we'll stay in the theological and then we'll get to the practical. Okay. Because I think we, we need to apply Christ's work to our hearts first. And so just thinking about, we talked about toil and frustration and slavery for a second. How does Christ coming actually answer those things? Maybe people are wondering, okay, I get it, Christmas, but, but how do those things connect? And it's when we rest in what Christ did that we can have relief from the toil. So we, we strive and strive and strive thinking our list is never over, but Christ is the one who on the cross said, it is finished. That actually that work is done. And when you feel like your to-do list is never done, we can look to Christ and realize, no, 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 the work under the work, it, it's been satisfied. It's done. I can stop. I can breathe. I can, I can rest in who God is and what Christ has done and have a minute of respite from my to-do list. I can give that tomorrow because tonight I can, I can rest in what Jesus did. You know, there's our toil, the frustration. We get anxious. We're so anxious because our work isn't what we thought it should be. Our parenting isn't what we want it to be. We never feel like we are enough or our kids are enough, or our life is enough, and we can get angry and bitter. But when we see Christ and his perfection, and then we know that that's what God sees when he looks at us. I mean, that's what the belief of union with Christ, that we are in Jesus, that if we are connected to Christ, he looks at us and he sees Jesus's perfection, that God looks at us and says, you're perfect. In Christ, you are perfect. And when we have that sense of, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, but then we hear God's affirming voice looking at us and saying, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant, because we are, we're hidden in Christ's perfection. It releases a burden. We can be set free from that anxiety and that worry 
and that sense of shame or frustration or failure. So there's the toil, the frustration, and the slavery. Resting in Christ can free us from our enslavement. We can feel trapped and bound to just work and work and work and never stop and never rest. But, but when we look to Christ, we can be set free to become servants of God. We're now, we're working out of affirmation, not working out of a need to earn or to perform, but we can realize, oh no, it's all done. And if it's all done, then now my work is a response to what's been done. It's not trying to earn. It's not trying to, to catch up. I'm working out of abundance and I'm working out of the rest and the blessing that comes from life in him. And so we can turn now and get to practical steps in a second, but I just want us to pause and realize in the gospel and in Christ are resources for the burdens of our heart when it comes to work and rest. I wish I had a deeper knowledge of this as a young parent. I'm thankful for the young parents hearing from you today. It can maybe help some of their frustration. Mm -hmm. So back to rest and comparing God's form of rest to our, what we call leisure, getting back to Andy Crouch's definition of how we've altered rest and turned it into leisure. What's the difference? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So rest, if we were to go back to the design in Genesis 1 and 2, God he blesses the seventh day and makes it holy. And both the holiness and the blessing are so key because they highlight that this thing is set apart for blessing. It's set apart for life and that we're meant to find that life, that rest in God. Well, leisure is, well, it's the human counterfeit version. It's just stopping. Leisure is maybe it's seeking distraction. Maybe we're seeking a break or we're just seeking work stoppage, but it may not necessarily be the blessing. It may not be the life-giving rest that comes from, from seeking it in God. And so I think we mentioned before, it, it can be a, a stop to the output, but it's not necessarily an input, which is what we really need. It doesn't fill us positively. And so rest, it requires more than just stopping. And this is the part that maybe is counterintuitive for us because we, we want rest. And then the church's answer over the years has been discipline. And we're like, wait, what? Like, discipline sounds like more work. Man. Right. And it's, again, it seems so counterintuitive that the answer for a, a need for rest, that the answer would be spiritual disciplines. I think Christians over the years who've gone before us, they've realized that it sometimes takes effort to get to the rest that we need. And so all of us have known when you're trying to get ready for a vacation, that you have to do more than just stop working to not work. It actually takes a lot of work to prepare to not work. And so you do vacation responders or some people work tons of extra hours to make up for the time that they're gone, just to be ready to be gone. You have to work to not work. And some of us don't apply that to rest, to Sabbath rest. And we think, I can just work, 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 work until Friday at you know 7 p.m. and then boom, shut off and failing to see, no, 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 you can't just stop. You can't just downshift casually as if you're just, okay, now I'm just going to hit the pillow and rest. You can't. And so it's kind of like the cat in the hat who says, it's fun to have fun, but you have to know how. We have to know how to rest. And the, the church's answer over the years was, well, spiritual disciplines and, and these things that, that seem like it's extra effort, but they understood to get to the rest, you have to, you have to do a little bit of work. You have, to, you have to ratchet up in order to ratchet down more effectively and more fully. And so the rules that they came up with, they weren't there to torture the faithful, but those rules were communicating this insight that interrupting the ceaseless round of, of striving, it requires a surprising amount of effort and a surprising amount of an act of the will. And so spiritual disciplines, they, they acknowledge 
that we need to put a little effort and we need practice in order to build these rhythms of, of work and rest into our lives. Okay. So what are some of those disciplines? What, what can we do to increase our true rest? Yeah. So I would put these into two, two different boxes or two different categories for us to think about. I think we need the, we could call internal disciplines. So kind of inside me and then external disciplines, the, the hands and feet, the, the stuff that we'll do. The internal disciplines, it, it involves disciplining ourselves to actually think, to reflect on our lives and to believe again, the gospel for our lives. The external disciplines are going to be a little bit more familiar, but just let me give us three internal disciplines. The first would be to examine, examine your rhythms. So start by just asking the question, what am I doing? And is it working? <laughs> you know, what am I doing to try to get rest? And, and how's that going? How, how, how are my current patterns, current rhythms actually serving me? And are they giving me the rest that they need? And my, my guess is no, is the answer. And, and you may, through examining your rhythms, try to pursue some suggestions that other people offer. I remember hearing the suggestion at one point, they said, hey, start with turning off your phone, you know, turn off your phone. And the, the rhythm they came up with was one hour a day, one day a week, one week a year. Don't just put it on silent and leave it in your pocket, but actually turn it off and set it aside. And then the follow-up question is, are you actually able to do that? You know, is there a psychological thing that will break if you actually turn off your phone? But something like that, try giving it a try. Examine what you're doing and then try something else and see, could this help? So examine your rhythms. The second is examine your idols. And this is harder, but we need to really ask ourselves, what are the things that we're serving instead of God? Whether it's our, our kids or in the mask, you know, that, that you talked about. Uh, in your previous episode, maintaining this this facade is it running after this idealized life that we're seeing online that we think we don't have. Um, but we need to examine our idols, and we can say if we're never able to turn off, we're never able to shut it down, uh, then something else is demanding our service and our fealty other than God. So examine your rhythm, examine your idols, and then lastly is, is trust God to be God. It's just the apply the gospel to our lives. You know, if you can't sleep at night because the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Well, you need to pause and remember that God is God. So those, those would be kind of the first box of, of internal work. And then we can think, okay, externally, what, what are some external disciplines that we can pursue? And I don't want to get too specific. You know, there's, there's big debates within the church about Sabbatarianism and how much and how little, and what should you do and, and all the rules. And I would say rather than me offering specific rules of what you have to do, I would say, again, think in, in categories, so in terms of external disciplines, how can we frame our lives or structure our lives to, to love God and love our neighbor? And so the loving God side is, is structure your life, structure your rest around worship. In generations past, they had blue light laws or whatever, all, you know, the stuff where stuff shut down on Sunday. Well, that doesn't exist anymore in, in the United States, but think about how you can reorganize your life to have a time for worship. I won't even say a day because I know that'll trigger some people, but, but to have time to worship, structure, rest, and not just leisure, but worship into our lives. And the only way that the future will cease to have power over the present is through, you'd say, the, the expulsive power of a new affection, to quote Thomas Chalmers. Uh, you, you need to stop. You need to look at God. You need to worship him and let our experience and, and, and the life and blessing that flows from him fill us and push out all the noise and all the anxiety and the worry. And that comes from connecting to him. And so structuring our lives for that. So love God and love your neighbor. Jesus, throughout the gospels, he made it clear that, that there's room for acts of mercy on the Sabbath. Sabbath is meant for man, that man might be blessed. And so we can 
think about how to bless others as a, a way of imaging God and experiencing something, you know, his life flowing through us that can be restful, even as there's output there. And so we need to consider love of neighbor when we're thinking about Sabbath. And so we can consider how our choices might actually be preventing others from rest. We think, oh, you know, for, for my Sabbath, I'm just not going to cook and I'm going to eat out all the time. And well, okay, then the person in the restaurant and your Uber Eats and all these other people are working so that you can rest. Actually think about love of neighbor. How can you prepare? Do a crockpot meal, do something else, you know, cook the day before if you don't want to cook, but think about how you can rest in a way that also allows others to rest and, and build in that love of neighbor into that. And then we can also, you know, love others through fellowship and hospitality and seeking to, to bless others. So again, boxes for disciplines, there's the, the internal side, and then there's the, the external side of, of pursuing worship and then loving neighbor in the disciplines that we're going to try to run after and pursue. That is so good. I'm thinking about the person who is feeling so overwhelmed right now. They don't mm -hmm. even know where to turn. And for them to start a little easier might be a phone call. A phone mm -hmm. call to somebody that you know who is hurting or is going mm -hmm. through a tough time that will just take 20 minutes at the most, hopefully. Or increase your prayer time by 10 minutes each day and really mm -hmm. connect with God through prayer a little more. That might be an entry level to being able to ramp up some of the disciplines. But, you know, we've got to start somewhere. If we're not doing anything, we got to start somewhere. And mm -hmm. I encourage everybody out there to just start. Okay, I want to kind of just wrap this up a little bit. We have talked so many things regarding work and rest and how can we apply it to Christmas? Mm -hmm. I mean, we've talked a little, we've touched on it a little bit. Are there any other things that you can think of to make this Christmas be different from any other Christmas? Mm -hmm. I think choosing this topic of rest for the Christmas season is so apropos. <laughs> you know, yeah. Because what is the season about if not the total dissonance between our longings and our experience. You know, we want one thing and then we experience something else. That's every, every Christmas is that way. I think all of us can think of a, a time when we were kids where we had these huge expectations and then we opened our presents and we looked, you know, when everything was open, we looked around and like, is that it? Like, is that all this is, you know? And I think this season is rife with that kind of feeling of, of letdown and disappointment. And so I think, how can our conversation about rest and finding rest in God change this season? I, I think it begins by just looking honestly and soberly at, at what's currently happening. You know, we need to see what's happening clearly. We need to name it. We need to realize it's going to take a little bit of work and discipline to do things differently. If you want your season this year to be different, you can't think that you can just turn off at the right moment. You might have to plan and think ahead and and make some choices. You know, being countercultural is not the path of least resistance. It never will be, but it will in the end be the most life-giving and, and restful. What does a normal Christmas season look like for us? And what does that do to our hearts? What does that do to our soul? What are some things that we maybe want to do differently this year and, and think specifically about, okay, what am I doing that's just killing me? And how can I set up my kids for success? And how can I set up our family? And, and how can we build more pauses into to the hustle, I think, examining our idols. What, what am I hoping to get out of Christmas that always lets me down? You know, what's the feeling or what's the, the thing that I'm running after and worshiping that's not satisfying? Whether it's consumerism or whether it's sentimentality or whether it's the perfect Christmas card or, you know, whatever it may be, we all have idols this time of year that we need to just rethink. 
And then we need to trust God. You know, we need to know that on December 26th, when we're cleaning up the mess, that it won't have worked. Christmas will not have given us the rest that we wanted it to give. The gift won't satisfy. The party won't give us the feeling of home like God can. And we need to turn again to God and trust him to be God to, to meet those needs. That, that only he can because the season cannot deliver what we every year expect it to deliver. It just can't. And we can disarm it by naming that first. And then we can fight for worship. I hope your listeners are a part of churches that, that do the hard work of worship, but that's what we need during this season. Advent is a great season in the church calendar that some churches observe, others don't, but it's preparation for Christmas. And it's a, it's a wonderful way to reframe our longings and connect them to what we ultimately need and can only be had in Christ. And so taking time to say, hey, you know, what were the people waiting for? What am I waiting for? And, and how is Jesus the answer? Not more stuff or more cookies or more drink or more food or more tinsel or whatever it may be. So yeah, we, we need to fight harder for worship. We need to consider how can we set time aside for me and my family, you know, to be countercultural? How can I use the season to draw us deeper into worship of God and not away from him? And then like you said, take this opportunity to love our neighbors and say, yeah, what are ways that we can extend ourselves and be agents of God's mercy in the world? And that will dramatically change our experience and help us remember what this, this time is meant for, what it's about. Now in the Christmas season, as we're wrapping up, what are the ways that we can make this Christmas powerfully different than any other Christmas before? Do you mm -hmm. have any thoughts on that? My encouragement, to, especially to the parents out there, is to not assume. Okay? Just, just don't assume that your kids understand the story. Don't assume your kids understand the why. Over-explain everything. And I think what this will do will help cue their hearts into what they should be thinking about, but it'll also cue your own heart. My, my wife's parents have a, a neighborhood Christmas party every year where they just invite all their neighbors. They, they talk about it every year. They say it's horribly awkward because it's the one time of year that all the neighbors see each other and they don't know what to talk about, but they love doing it every year. And he said one year, this a family came there kind of newer to the neighborhood and there was like a seven-year-old girl who was there and she walked over their little nativity set set up in the corner by the fireplace. And my father-in-law started talking to her and she said, what is this? And he realized in the moment she had never seen a nativity or never heard the Christmas story. I said, well, you know, it's, he said, it's, this is the nativity scene. You know, there's, there's Joseph and Mary. Well, who are they? Oh, well, she, you know, she's the mother of Jesus. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas, that Jesus was born. Well, who are these shepherds and who are the angels? And all of a sudden the dad of the little girl looks over and is like, oh yeah, I guess we've never really talked about that. And, and so it was an opportunity. He just kind of laid out the Christmas story and said, well, this is what happened? And he said, well, why, why, why did this happen? And he went in to, to tell him, give him a little bit of gospel presentation for a six-year-old. And, and just, he said, it was a, a fascinating experience to encounter someone who had never heard the Christmas story. And here we are in this culture that we think is so Christmassy. And I think similarly, while, while that may be an extreme example, we should not assume that our kids are always connecting the dots and we can over explain and connect the dots for them. And so whether it's, you know, you're cutting out Christmas cookies and one of the shapes is an angel. Remind him again why it's an angel and what the angels had to say to the shepherds. Bring you good news of great joy that something happened in Christ's coming that is meant for our joy. You know, when you sit around the table and, and you're sharing meals, think about the gifts and, and what God is, is giving us and provided for us in Christ beyond just food. When, we, when we're doing the parties and we're doing the stuff, over-explain why we do these things. Don't assume that our kids will remember, that our kids will connect the dot, because it'll help point their hearts in the direction that we hope our hearts will be pointed and it'll lift our eyes too, to, to experience all of these things 
in a, a more redemptive and life-giving and restful way. So good. One last thing that I would like to share, and that is the beginning of the song, Silent Night, Holy Night, mm-hmm. All is Calm, All is Bright. My prayer for all the listeners and families, this will be a Christmas. You will have your eyes open to a holy God and a beautiful night and a very calm life in general as you trust in God and as you lean into his rest. And I am so thankful, Eric, for you for coming in and mm-hmm. illuminating so much about this. You're amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you for for having me. I hope there's something in here that's helpful to your listeners and allows them to experience the, the calm and the rest that we can have in Christ. I think there will be. All right. So I'm going to let you go because I'm sure you with your four kids have lots of stuff going on in your um, holiday season. Thank you so, so much. I look forward to enjoying the Christmas season with your family. Thank you, Lori. Talk to you soon. All righty. All right. Bye-bye. I wish you the merriest of Christmases and may you rest in the Lord this week. <laughs> <laughs>